0: In 2015, when we were running uh, the first uh, Research and Destroy CTF, it took them uh, around 30 minutes to find the first zero-day vulnerability.
1: Welcome, listeners, to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm sitting with Andrew Ginter, the Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He's going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Andrew, how are you? It's going well.
2: Thank you, Nate. We have two guests today. Anton Shippelin is the Global Pre-Sales Manager for the Kaspersky Industrial Cybersecurity Team. And Vladimir Deshenko is the Head of Vulnerability Research at Kaspersky's ICS-CERT, the Industrial Control System Cyber Emergency Response Team. And our topic today is how Kaspersky is working with and contributing to the international industrial security
1: community. Let's listen in.
2: So Anton... Thank you for joining us. Um, you're talking to us about how Kaspersky is working with and contributing to the industrial security community. I know you folks are doing a lot of stuff.
3: Where would you like to start? Well, thanks for inviting us to the podcast. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, well, I, I'm a member of uh, Kaspersky Industrial Cybersecurity Business Development Team, and uh, uh, I'm a big fan of networking, a big fan of the topic of uh, industrial cybersecurity uh, in g- generally. Uh, as a Kaspersky, uh, uh, um, i work working at Kaspersky, I'm a head of program committee for our in- international Kaspersky Industrial Cybersecurity Conference in Sochi. Uh, I, I do some stuff for building Russian, uh, Russian-speaking international community in Russia. And, um uh, so I'm a big fan and a member of uh, BRISE community as well. So, uh, in Kaspersky, we try to do our best to help people to help um, industrial facilities. Uh, like, uh, for example, uh, we not only uh, sell our security solutions to our clients. We also provide them for free for uh, research, uh, uh, research communities, for laboratories, uh, for educational, for per- for research purposes. This is uh one of our contribution to them. Uh, another initiative, as I mentioned, is our Kaspersky Industrial Cybersecurity Conference. We're trying to make the, the great event uh, similar to such great events like, uh, uh, like S4 in the uh, U.S., uh, CS3 in Stockholm. We're working on the uh, big event in Russia. Uh, last year, for example, we had more than 300 people uh, people attended and um, people from more than 25 countries and um, great speakers from all over the world uh, u.s europe asia middle east and uh, we're going to have it uh, again in sochi so we're always welcome guys to come to to russia to great sochi to uh, to share information with russian industrial community mostly from russia kazakhstan belarus and other countries (laughs)
1: Andrew, I've never heard of this conference that he's referencing. Have, have you ever been there?
2: Uh, I've heard of it sort of in passing. I've never been to it. And when Anton mentioned it, uh, you know, after the, the, uh, the episode was recorded, I actually went and looked it up, you know, on the web. It's the Kaspersky Industrial Cybersecurity Conference. And what I was surprised by was, you know, his mention that it was more than 300 people last year. Um, you know, the industrial security community is comparatively small. There is no event in the world that ha- you know that draws twenty thousand people like Black Hat does, or you know six thousand people like the RSA event in the IT space. Um, you know the biggest events that I'm aware of are S four that I think drew something like. 600 550 people last year and is is projecting 700 this year there's gridseccon that draws 500 people uh there's a couple of of other events you know uh, cs3 is drawing three four hundred people in uh, in europe so i was surprised that this was a 300 person event i'm i'm thinking i'm gonna have to put it on my uh on my to-do list once uh you know once international travel becomes possible again So you mentioned that you're working with the industrial cybersecurity community. What are you doing uh, with that community?
3: Well, thanks for the question. Um, Russian Industrial Cybersecurity Community is an independent non-profit uh, initiative uh, on developing a Russian-speaking international community uh, on industrial cybersecurity. So the, the idea was to combine people together to to, uh, to share awareness, to share knowledge, to to, 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 to do professional networking, to uh, develop market in general. So we started it uh, with uh, several uh, Several individuals started it 3 or 4 years uh, ago we just created uh, several online platforms for for information sharing uh, just a Facebook group and Telegram chat uh, and then we uh, started to 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 do the uh, meetups informal meetups like B rise the same in Russia and uh, for example lots of uh, people from uh, different companies not only from Kaspersky uh, contribute other uh, market players also contribute to this community with uh, in, with knowledge with uh, some other initiatives and we see that w- we are uh, able to combine people together in russia and we uh, I, we we saw that mm, how uh, community built in u.s for example when for, uh, at s4 everyone knows everyone and uh, we wanted the same, and uh, I, I can say that uh, it, it worked out finally. And uh, we borrow lots of ideas from all over the world, from other initiatives, from CS3 conference, from S4, from BRISEC, under one name. So this is our idea to 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 make the professional club on industrial cybersecurity. <laughs>
1: So what Anton just said there reminds me of a recent episode that we did with uh Derek Harp of CISA.
3: That's
2: right. Um, you know, he talked about getting started with meetups, which are face-to-face meetings. They're they're, you know, very informal. Um he uh you know he talked about uh a nonprofit organization, which is what CISA is. Uh, you know, he talked about um, you know, the the focus being networking and and forming a community. So uh yeah, I mean it's it's uh it does sound very similar uh, for, of course, Russian language speakers. Uh, I mean, I would struggle in in that environment. But networking is important. Um, you know, my my boss, the the CEO of the company, is uh, a very big fan of of networking. Lior Frankel. You know, when he goes to an event, he doesn't uh, he doesn't go to sit in the back of the room and and listen to speakers. He goes there to meet people in the hallway. He's he's out there, you know, catching up with people. A lot of people you know new to the industry especially very technical people some of them are 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 uncomfortable with networking and uh you know waterfall sponsors a bunch of networking events uh quite routinely at at a lot of these these gatherings the advice i give people when i invite them to a networking event is look you've got an opportunity with you know a beer in your hand you've got an opportunity to talk to people and and learn stuff and and see what's going on so what i encourage people to do who are maybe Alien to the concept is, you know, go in there, um, you know, find someone else who's standing around looking like a, a deer. You know, a deer in the headlights uh, doesn't know what is going on. Go up and introduce yourself and ask them questions. Ask these people, um, you know, so what? What are you working on nowadays? What's going on? Ask them, uh, you know, what did you just finish? Ask them what did you learn from that? What was interesting? Ask them what's coming next? Ask them why it's coming next. To get some insight into decision-making processes, and a lot of the time, you know, people they they're not comfortable telling strangers, you know, stuff that that you know is details of what's going on. But a question like "What did you learn from that?" um, is a personal question. It's something that that people can answer. And when you when you uh, when you ask that question, when you get those insights, you learn what's interesting to other people and you know, what's interesting to other people might need to be interesting to you. You, you get ideas, it's, uh, you, you develop contacts and, you know, you come away with insights. So this is the advice I give to people in these, these networking environments, you know, networking is valuable. Use the opportunities when you have them, you know, start your own meetup, attend the, the, uh, the ICS meetups. It doesn't matter what language and, uh, you know, get out there and, and, you know, start, start getting introduced
1: i don't know andrew the only thing that to me sounds more difficult than doing industrial security is having to walk up to a complete stranger at a social event
2: yes well that's why you you you, you bring a little lubrication with you in the in the form of a beer you mentioned the beer isaac a couple of times i mean isaac is information sharing and analysis center beer is beer can you talk about that
3: what what is that well uh, great question uh well B.R.I.S.E.A.C. is again a a not-profit initiative, it's kind of funny initiative for uh, connecting people together several experts started it uh in 2016 uh patrick miller chris strong reed whitman uh as a idea to to share information we all know that the 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 best uh the best information sharing when you have you know glass of beer or or tea or coffee and you talk to you know to each other to to share knowledge share ideas uh and the reason i I, uh, i uh uh I encounter the term like beer intelligence uh, so also the term for <laughs> beec initiative and uh, I support this idea I I have a you know I'm an honored uh, uh, beer Sec coin holder so I'm so I'm happy to to be part of this initiative and uh, as my uh, personal uh, contribution to the community I created the uh, created the public playlist for episode podcast on 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 uh, listen-all service, where I combined uh, lots of great episodes from great uh, podcasts uh, under the Beer ISAC, uh, logo name, so it's uh, my humble contribution to this initiative, so I'm always happy to participate and to promote this idea to to Russia and to other countries.
2: So I've actually been to a Beer ISAC gathering. It is, it's not you know it's not a not for profit it's not it's not incorporated anywhere it's a very informal it's an idea it's a it's a convention you know it's a thing it's a thing people do it's a it's a name people use so um you know i was at S4 uh, at the beginning of the year and uh, i think every night of the event there was the official event there was the official gathering and then you know when everything official is done there's this unofficial beer isac and it's just you know nobody's rented space you just sort of gather in whatever space there is and there was a sort of a a, a dark quiet space by the the swimming pool in the uh, in the hotel and people gathered there and you bring your own beer literally you go across the street to the beer store and you buy beer and you bring it back um and you you open your beer and you talk to people it's very informal and you know the idea is information sharing and analysis centers are very formal mechanisms for sharing threat information, sharing intelligence. Um, and the theory, you know, that the, the, the founders here, Patrick Miller, Chris Sistrunk, Reed Whitman, their theory was, you know, um, the best information sharing happens informally, not on the record. So this is an off-the-record way to, to network and share information. Um, you know, Anton mentioned a coin, a pro tip when you come to the Beer Isaac, bring a bottle opener, because it's frustrating to go to the beer store, buy a bunch of beer bottles, and discover that you can't open the wretched things until you find a coin holder. Now, the coin, there's, I think there was something like a 100 of them minted or there, there was a fixed number of them minted, uh, you know. Far as I know, the founders here paid for these things out of their own pocket. They're they're lovely coins. They've got a, a you know a lovely beer ISAC logo on them, and they're not solid. They've got sort of holes in them. They're, they're, they're sort of the logo is is uh, in relief, and it, they're lovely things. And if you look at them carefully, and you bring them close to a beer bottle, you go, this thing will open the beer bottle. They're actually a bottle opener. So, you know, these folks have been giving these coins out to people who are contributing to the ICS community, who are contributing to the informal Beer Isaac community. So Anton is a coin holder. Um, The the, the Beer ISAC initiative is, again, very informal, very unofficial. Um, You know, I asked, as a vendor, can we help? And they said, well, you know, Patrick told me, um, next time there's one of these events, uh, bring pizza. Okay, this is not an official sponsorship. There's no such thing. Okay, there's nothing official about this. There, there you know, you don't get to send up a a, a booth with your logo. But uh, you know, if you want to bring pizza and grab a beer and go stand in the crowd, you know, we'd be grateful of that. You know, the word will spread that that you brought the pizza. But there's nothing official about it. It's it's personal, and so um, yeah, it it's. Uh, I've been to a couple of them now they're useful networking events they're very informal and i encourage anyone who's got an opportunity at one at a, at a conference where there's you where you hear the buzz about beer isaac ask the question where's it going to be go find some beer and bring it
1: i also recall that he mentioned a beer isaac podcast andrew is this yet another competitor that you and i have to destroy
2: <laughs> yes well something like that um It's called a podcast. I mean, if you go on your your favorite podcast app and you search for Beer Isaac podcast, you will find what appears to be a Beer Isaac podcast. It looks like a competitor, but in fact, it's not a competitor. It's a list. So it looks like a podcast. You can subscribe to it. I subscribe to the Beer Isaac podcast, but really it's a list. And what Anton does is he's, you know, he, he, uh, he searches the, the internet, he searches the podcast environment, he listens to a lot of podcasts, other people's podcasts. And when there's an episode um, that's relevant to industrial security, he puts the episode, he puts the, the description of the episode in his list. And so if you go to the Beer Isaac podcast that looks like a podcast and you listen to it, you get vectored to somebody else's episode. You hear Basically, all of the industrial security podcast episodes are in his list. All of Dale Peterson's unsolicited response is in the list, and anytime anybody else does something, Enternex will do something or Threatpost will do something on industrial security because these are, you know, Threatpost talks about cybersecurity, Enternex talks about the the energy sector about power grids. Anytime somebody else has a cybersecurity, an industrial cybersecurity episode, he'll put it in the list. So it's, uh, you know, it, the, the value he adds is you don't have to go searching for all this stuff. Uh, go to the Beer Isaac list and you'll hear all the good stuff, all of our stuff and anything else that sort of dribbles out of, of these other podcasts. So the Beer ISAC is fun. I mean, there, you know, there's, there's formal contributions you're making. There's informal contributions. What else are you folks up to?
0: so one of the main ideas that we are following right now is uh, global knowledge sharing experience sharing with the uh, everyone around the world so uh, the main idea is to save the world to protect the world uh and we believe that we can do it all together so it doesn't matter like w- which company you work for where are you at so you need to fight with the with the bad stuff with the bad things so the uh, one of the main things that we are working on right now is the knowledge sharing with the universities this is a totally non-profit project so we run different technical courses educational courses for um, universities around the world Uh, So we educate students and professors uh, in questions of um, industrial cybersecurity, cybersecurity of Internet of Things, industrial Internet of Things, automotive and uh, other uh, unusual IT stuff around us. Uh, We also have a set of um, CTF competitions. This is a capture the flag competitions uh, uh, focusing on the practical questions of cybersecurity, not always industrial cybersecurity, but different. Uh, So we also run uh, different uh, types of the competitions uh, focusing on the practical questions, practical problems in uh, cybersecurity, not always industrial cybersecurity, but also uh, IoT cybersecurity, industrial Internet of Things. So uh, these competitions are running uh, under the CTF uh, format, It can be uh, classical ways as uh, attack and defense or um, task based CTF or we even make some sort of research and destroy CTF so we set up a a real technological process uh, based on the real devices real protocols real software uh, and we educate people educate students uh, how to you know w- w- what are the typical vulnerabilities what what are the typical security problems and what cyber physical damage can be done if you exploit the set of vulnerabilities so uh this is all about the knowledge sharing programs and based on that of course we have like a set of uh commercial stuff for uh, customers so but this is uh, outside of this uh podcast
2: so i imagine that there's Universities, post-secondary institutions all over the world who are ramping up with cybersecurity. I mean, the, the, the trends in the industry are just that, you know, attacks keep getting worse, that there's more software to attack, there's more connectivity, the less people attack. I think, you know, it's my impression that the, the, the topic is getting more and more widespread interest. If there's a post-secondary institution that's ramping up an industrial cybersecurity, uh, set of courses or program, um, how would they get in touch with you? What you know? What if they want to reach you? Who would they reach out to?
0: That's a really good question. So uh, so far, we have uh, different ways uh, to reach us. Uh, some people they're reaching us uh, through Twitter. So they just send me direct message. Uh, other people contact me uh, through LinkedIn. Um, some people they just, you know, contacting us uh, using like a general email address uh, um, uh, ICS, uh, cert at Kaspersky.com. So multiple ways.
3: We also had a dedicated unit in our company uh, responsible for the uh, for the work with the universities, with academia. Yeah, They also help us a lot uh, with that. So we're promoting our trainings to them, to help with the relationship with universities. So this is one of the ways. So when we talk about uh,
2: working with universities, I mean you folks offer a lot of information into the community that that uh, you know r- reports and stuff that that people use. Can you talk about that?
0: Of course. Uh, so the another uh, main principle that we have that uh, all the research results that we have, we publish them and so we have a set of uh, reports about the vulnerability research uh different threat intelligence reports several investigations and so on and so forth and uh, last year we decided to start one more um thing so we have a pre-release sharing uh, reports with different uh, certs, uh, either uh, national certs, governmental certs, um, uh, commercial certs, I mean, the product security teams and so on and so forth. So we basically have a a list of of certs uh, that uh, are willing uh, to have our reports, you know, five, seven days before the official release, and we get the feedback from them so it's very useful it's a really good win-win situation when they can you know take a look on what's happening right now what will be published they can start doing the mitigation process in uh you know uh, for their assets and for us it's really good to get the feedback from from, from the uh, from the community and we, it's very easy to apply to get to this list. So you basically need to send us an uh, email and asking uh, to have a pre release copy of the report. So we're super happy to share it with, you with different uh, certs. And uh, based on that, of course, um, we, uh, we have um, a chapter in our threat intelligence portal where we publish. So first of all, we we'll publish the threat intelligence reports uh, there. And um, after some time, we release uh, these reports to public.
4: A word from our sponsor. Waterfall Security Solutions is the OT security company. Waterfall's flagship product is the Unidirectional Security Gateway. The gateway hardware is physically able to send information in only one direction, most often from a protected operations network out to an enterprise network. Unidirectional Gateway software replicates servers in real time, most often replicating historian databases. Enterprise users can query the replica databases normally. No queries, or information or attacks can be sent through the gateway hardware back into the industrial network that might put that network at risk. Unidirectional gateways are safe ITOT integration. For more information on the gateways, please visit Waterfall's website.
2: Okay, so it may be a dumb question, but what language are these reports written in?
0: that's uh, that's a really good question uh, uh so all the reports there are in english so we translate uh reports uh we have reports of in russian and in english but in threat uh, intelligence portal they're in english of course so it's a uh, uh, universal international language that most of us are speaking uh, especially in, in the cyber security community so yeah english
2: you talked about capture the flag as well I mean I know there's different versions of it at S4 there's pwn to own there's there's sort of a, a um, you know there was something that the Dale called capture the flag in the past what, what format do you use
0: So usually we use uh, three main formats, uh, two classical ones, as I mentioned. Um, The first one is uh, the um, task-based CTF. So this is basically when different teams or individuals, uh, they have different set of tasks, basically technical questions that they need to solve, technical problems. And after solving each question, they have an answer. Basically, this is uh, a text line, as a string, and they submit it to the to the system, and they can understand if the if it was a correct answer or not. Uh, the second um, type of the CTF is attack and defense. Basically, <coughs> this is the CTF, uh, the competition when uh, different number of teams, let's say four teams, they have the same base the same uh, let's say um, a, a, a fortress that they need to protect um, and they need to uh, identify what types of the vulnerabilities they have and try to exploit these vulnerabilities and the other team's uh, fortress so this is a very interesting competition because uh, each team, uh, they need to have their own services running and running, uh, stable running. Uh, they need to protect, uh, you know, the fix the vulnerabilities and attack other teams. So it's a really good competition. And the third uh, is uh, the third type of CTF we call research and destroy. So this is basically we have um, a setup of a technical technological process uh, based on the real devices, uh, real uh, SCADA software, uh, or HMI or uh, any other industrial software. Uh, um, the network protocols are also uh, have industrial b- background and. Uh, one or several teams they need to uh, identify pre-made vulnerabilities or uh, some uh, some usually they find uh, zero-day vulnerabilities Um, and they need to get access to the uh, technological process and try to influence it try to do something that will cause a cyber physical effect so this is basically when a cyber attack causes a physical damage
2: if I might get some clarity on that, um, if you're gonna find zero days, that's not something you can do in an hour. Do you do you give people sort of warning and and you know a description of, of what they're targeting?
0: Uh okay. So usually, when people uh, are identifying the zero-day vulnerability, they're pretty surprised. Uh, In 2015, when we were running uh, the first uh, Research and Destroy CTF, it took them uh, around 30 minutes to find the first zero-day vulnerability. So sometimes it doesn't take you so much time to find something really interesting. And after uh, a team has found the vulnerability, uh, we had um, an agreement with them, so we immediately Contacted with the vendor, introduced the team member to you know to product security uh, representative from the vendor side, and so they started the communication regarding the coordinated disclosure. So, yeah, this is a very important um, topic. So we always follow the coordinated disclosure uh, process with the vendors.
1: So I believe what he said there was they're finding zero day vulnerabilities in what thirty minutes
2: yeah that that caught my ear as well and it it sort of confirms what I've heard anecdotally from uh, from from other people over the over the years I mean you know finding zero days is is supposed to be hard um and it kind of is in certain arenas so you know parts of the i t space basically the windows operating system um the uh, you know the uh, the various browser environments um they've been heavily uh, investigated, and you know who does this? It's uh, in the security, in the IT security space. A lot of the time, the people finding and reporting these zero days are service providers. So if you have if you have a business doing, uh, I don't know, incident response, well, it's not a steady business. There's not incidents every day, so you have idle periods between engagements. Or if you're doing uh, security assessments, you know, you might not have enough business to keep you busy. Uh, every day of the year when you've got time to yourself what do you do well you want to invest that time in a bit of marketing and so what these folks do is they uh, you know get something the the adobe pdf reader or you know start picking apart the, the windows operating system and try to find zero days and when they find one they report it to the vendor the vendor fixes it the patch becomes available and when it's announced to the world these people's names are on the announcement and now they've got they've got marketing you know they can they can go to prospective clients and say the client says well who are you why should i believe that you know anything well look at these three vulnerability reports you remember these yeah these were bad ones whose name is on them you found that stuff okay maybe i do want you looking at my stuff so this is this is the the sort of the continuous investment in people finding zero days and it really has become difficult to find zero days in certain uh, technologies that have been heavily inspected. Very little in the industrial space has been inspected to that degree, and so I've heard stories in the past of you know these these same security researchers they have a, a spare day and they turn their attention to the industrial space and say, well, let me download a, a demo of an HMI or a historian or something off the internet. And, uh, you know, see what I can do. And they, they get their coffee at eight 30 in the morning and they download this stuff and install it and start inspecting it. And they find a half dozen vulnerabilities before lunch. You know, two of them are critical remote code execution vulnerabilities. And they, you know, they, they report them to the vendor and a half hour later, they have a threatening letter from the vendor threatening to sue them and they give up in disgust. You know, I've, I've heard these stories and, you know, this is, this is confirming that, Really, there's there's uh, there's a lot of vulnerabilities to be found in the industrial space.
1: All right, now that all sounds convenient to us talking here about this, um, but it doesn't sound like great news for the industry in general.
2: Not at all, and you know the the, the this aspect of the industry, I think, is is not widely understood, and uh, you know it leads to some really some poor decision making. I mean, um, when was it? Six years ago, I think 2014, the DHS ICS JWG conference, uh, you know, my boss, the uh, Lior Frankel, the the CEO of Waterfall um, had a speaking uh, session called stop patching. It's stupid. And, you know, he had a standing room only crowd. There were three tracks. His track was just packed. And, you know, he started out the first sentence he said in in the in the the presentation was spoiler alert, the punchline is do not stop all of your patching. But patching on industrial networks is a lot less valuable than you might think it is. And, you know, there's many reasons for that. You know, the the obvious one is a lot of these devices are still using plain text protocols and they have no authentication whatsoever. There's no passwords, there's nothing. So even if you find a dozen zero-day remote code execution vulnerabilities who cares because you don't need them you just connect your you know open a tcp connection to the device tell it what you want it to do and it'll do it you don't need zero days and so you know patching patching is expensive in the industrial world cuz you got to test each of these patches is it going to take my my billion dollar plant down if i put a new software on here patching is a really expensive process and you know because if people In the IT space, imagine you have to patch everything all the time. In the industrial space, well, if you've got a plain text protocol, there's not much point. And if you're using devices that really have not been inspected for zero days, then doing the really expensive patching of all of these devices for every vulnerability that's discovered is pointless if your enemies can go in there and find another zero day in half an hour. So the you know the what people do in this space patching is very expensive and less valuable than you might think it is you've got to do a, a careful risk assessment a lot of security programs start with perimeter protection you know harden the the outer shell because the inside is just intrinsically soft and uh you know when when the it folks are coming into the space they will often start not so much with perimeter protection but with monitoring because then at least you can see a little bit of what's going on you've got you've got so you know going in and trying to patch everything uh is just is just hard and not terribly effective, and so people have to use these other mechanisms to secure the the industrial space. This is one of the key differences between the industrial space and the IT space that is is very poorly understood. Now, Anton, the other place that I've seen Kaspersky is in the industrial internet consortium. I mean waterfall is active there, we've seen that you're active there. Um, can you talk about work that you're doing with the IIC and with with other groups like that?
3: Yeah, uh, we have a dedicated team, uh, uh, analysts who are responsible for uh, participating in international standardization organization. This team is uh, under the Kaspersky ICS cert team. So uh, they participate in uh, developing standards in in, in ENISA, European, uh, cybersecurity agency in Industrial Internet Consortium, ISO, uh, uh, in IEC, and other uh, organizations. They contribute with the content, with reviewing these documents, so we're providing our expertise, uh, our experience in cybersecurity to, the, to, these, uh, to these standards.
0: So, for example, uh, recently we contributed to um, a very interesting framework called security maturity model. Uh, this is a totally uh, open source framework Uh, we have participated um, in in creating this uh, framework with the within uh, industrial internet consortium and basically this is the framework that allows you to uh, to measure how much security do you have Uh, and you can uh, take a look on how are secured your processes how much security do you input in uh, creating your device technology uh, whatever you have and um, our team we uh, provide uh, a consultancy consultancy services uh, how to you know be compliant uh, to this um, uh, framework so i encourage uh, all the people to take a look on this th- very good thing so it might be it might be very useful for vendors uh, to see how secure they are how secured are the solutions and actually it can be a very good let's say a killer feature on the market if they see that they uh, you know comply to this framework it's a good thing to have
2: so you mentioned it with the, the security model, um, you are measuring the security of a vendor. What does that mean? Are you talking about the, the, the processes the vendor has for product development, or are you talking about you know a, a source code review on, on the, 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 a particular product?
0: It's all together. It's a, a very comprehensive approach to see how secured uh, the vendor's processes. Of course, um, do they have uh, security coding practices? If they provide the, uh, if they are following security development lifecycle, if there are any vulnerabilities in the um, in the devices, in the solutions, and the most important, how do they react on the vulnerability reports? So it's not only there is no separation between the processes uh, device uh, and uh, other things it's altogether it's a very comprehensive approach
2: so nate i wanted to um add a, a little bit to this you know it's it's great that kaspersky is contributing to all of these standards if our listeners want to access these standards um you know some are easier to get at than others so um ISO is the, you know, the international standards organization. Um, you uh, you have to buy those standards, and, and they can be a little expensive for individuals. Now, organizations buy these things routinely. There are, there are a few thousand dollars. You know, organizations can generally, uh, it, it, you know, each of them is is less than that. But you have to buy several of them, add them up. There's a set of them you, you have to buy to make sense out of things, and it adds up to a few thousand dollars. Um, the IEC, the International Electrotechnical Commission, uh, similarly, you have to buy their standards, uh, but they tend to be more standalone. So, you know, if you spend 200 bucks on, on an IEC standard, it, it kind of makes sense by itself. Um, INISA, though, is the European uh, standards that they produce uh, less standards and more sort of best practice guidance. It's all free if you go Googling for that, and it's all available in the English language. Um the Industrial Internet Consortium, the uh, the maturity model that that uh, these folks were talking about, um, it's free. Everything the IIC produces is free, and you can you can access it easily. Um, and you know, he talked about um, Kaspersky contributing to the process. I'd like to make a plug in here for the ISA, the uh, International Society for Automation. Um, if our listeners, any of our listeners, you know, are service providers, and between gigs, they would like to contribute to the community and make a bit of a name for themselves and really get plugged into the very latest thinking, I would encourage them to um, volunteer with the ISA on their SP99 committees. And the reason I say I I mention you know, ISA particularly, in part is because it's very hard for mere mortals like, you know, an individual um, to contribute to ISO. The ISO standards are formed by Committees of national representatives from you know every nation on the planet, and if you want to contribute to an ISO standard you have to uh, you have to be nominated by your country same for ANISA. the the member states nominate participants um, you know same for the IEC you the, the the countries of the world combine and and nominate people to these things um, the industrial internet consortium does not accept personal memberships; only accepts corporate memberships, and so it's a little bit expensive. But the ISA, uh, you can contribute to the ISA standards, um, you know, without even being an ISA member. And, and an ISA membership costs, I think, one hundred and thirty dollars US. And the, you know, the beauty of this is that the IEC standards, yeah, they have a lot of standards in a lot of domains. Cyber in, industrial cybersecurity is only one of those domains. Where do the IEC industrial security standards come from. IEC 62443 is the one everybody cites. Um, They come from the ISA. The ISA SB99 committee writes the standard, and the IEC publishes it. So you don't need to be on the national committee to contribute to the industrial security standards you go and you volunteer. It's a completely volunteer effort at the the ISA SP99 committee, and you can get involved. You can get your name on the standard. You can get plugged into the latest thinking and, you know, help the world by, by producing these standards. And, you know, to finish the thought on the ISA, if you actually buy a membership, you get access to all of the ISA standards. And they produce standards, you know, for cybersecurity that are published by the IEC. They produce standards for, you know, HMI, Alarm Administration, they produce standards for safety systems. And if you're a member, you don't have to pay for those standards. You can get online access to the standards as part of your membership. So there's a plug for anyone who personally wants to get involved. Um, The INISA outputs are free. The IIC outputs are free. And if you get involved with the ISA, you can get both input and the results of the IEC standards. you know for the cost of your membership so we like to leave our guests with the last word is there a a thought you'd like to leave with our listeners
3: well actually the main idea i would like to to say to listeners you know we have to you know we we have to work together we were we live in the same world uh, we are defensive people have to be together help to, to to each other, it's the only way we can, you know, to build a safer, safer world, even with even if we are, uh, despite, we are uh, the competitors, we the the colleagues we will work the same, you know, direction. So we have to be together. And uh, the last uh, my message to the audience as a part of this uh, community contribution, as I mentioned, uh, I would like to pay attention to I would like to, uh, to invite you to have a look at the, our Kaspersky Industrial Security, Security Conference in Sochi and uh, to submit, to attend, and to, well, to, to attend the, our community. Thank you.
1: Andrew, for a last word, you and I now are recording while social distancing, as is most of the world. Um, they just plugged their conference. Um, is it still going to happen?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I looked on the website just now, and, you know, at the time of this recording, it's still on. Um, you know, we we actually recorded this, uh, you know, Anton's commentary here uh, a little while ago at the S4 conference. And, you know, back then, COVID was barely on on anybody's radar. So the, the conference, you know, on the website is still on September 2nd through 4th. Uh, it might still happen, you know. You'd think by now it would have been canceled. If it's going to be canceled, it might be happening really for anyone who can still get to Russia. You know, for me, I live in Canada. Um, you know, the Canadian government's advice is: well, we will let you leave the country if you want to go somewhere else, but you might not be able to get back in. And if the situation gets you know changes, uh, you know, we might not even be able to go out and fetch you. So um, I probably won't be leaving Canada anytime soon. I'm, I might. Put this conference on my to-do list next year. Um, but it it uh, it might still be a going concern sort of locally for for the the local Russian community who can who can still get to it
1: All right. that'll just about do it then thanks to Anton Shippelin and Vladimir Dashenko for speaking with you, Andrew. And as always, thank you for speaking with me.
2: Always a pleasure. I'll catch you next time.
1: This has been the industrial security podcast from Waterfall. Thanks to everybody listening.